All right, please open your Bibles to Luke chapter 2. We're going to be looking at verses 8 through 20 of Luke chapter 2 together this morning. As you can probably tell, uh, I'm on the, uh, on the end of a cold. Uh, I feel a lot better than I sound, um, but you'll have to bear with, with my deep voice today. Some of you are like, wow, he hit puberty. Uh, <laughs> this is as deep as it gets. So uh, I'm going to invite you to stand now as I read and, uh, in reverence for God's word, but also just as a, as a way to try to engage uh, just with our full attention and give, give all of our attention to what God is showing us here in his word. This is active and living, so put your, your full fixation on this. Luke chapter 2, verse 8. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said, thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds turned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Y'all can have a seat. I invite you to pray with me. God, you tell us that we must have your word. That's how we experience life. And not just a little bit of life, but life to the fullest. You make that very clear to us. That's your objective. You've come to give us life to the fullest. And you say that, that this comes through the word of God. Not by bread or other worldly resources, but by every word that comes to us through the scriptures what you have revealed to us. And so it is of the utmost importance that we would receive it, that we would be happen if you miraculously give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts that are receptive. So we ask that you would do that now by the power of the Spirit in the name of Jesus. Amen. What if Bill Murray were here this morning? Think about that. Seriously, seriously think about that. If Bill was sitting somewhere out there in the, in the crowd with y'all, I think Bill's presence would, would change the dynamic of our, of our gathering this morning. Um, for those of you who don't know, uh, Bill Murray is a famous actor. He, he performs the voice of the Badger in Fantastic Mr. Fox. Uh, he's been in a lot of different movies. He was one of the Ghostbusters in the 1980s. Okay, so you've probably seen some films that he's in. But if, but if Bill Murray were here, we would be starstruck. We would. Uh, we, we would see him here and we'd wonder, what, what is someone like him doing in an ordinary place 
like this. But you know, Bill does have a history of doing this. He has a history of showing up in, in random, modest places. He's got a track record of spending time with ordinary, unimpressive people like, like you and me. In fact, there's a documentary that, that talks all about this. It's called The Bill Murray Stories, and it just catalogs all of these ordinary situations where, where Bill just shows up, and he just sort of does life with, with ordinary, everyday, modest people. And in fact, as a personal favor to me, later today, just take two minutes to watch the trailer of this documentary and just see if it doesn't make you happy. Just makes you happy to see this, this superstar just show up and like hang out with people and share moments of joy with them. You'll see Bill, he just, he goes to a park and he just, he, he jumps in on a kickball game. There's just people playing kickball in the park and he just jumps in and he just plays kickball with them. Or he'll go to this house party, this gathering of friends and he'll, he'll invite himself in. He'll just have dinner with these people. And then he'll crank on some music in the living room. He'll say, hey, let's, let's get up, let's dance. Let's lighten the mood. And people will do it because it's Bill. Um, there's this couple taking engagement photos. And, and Bill just jumps in on their pictures. He just gets involved in their life. Or there's this guy sitting in this hole-in-the-wall bar in Austin, Texas. And Bill just sits there with him for like four hours as if they are longtime best friends. That's what's going on. He just shows up in these modest places and he shares these moments of joy with people that you just would never expect Bill to be hanging out with. And y'all, that's what God is like. God is like that. I mean, God is God. He's, he's very much a superstar. He's a, he's a huge deal. And the fact that he would want to show up and hang out with people like us, that's mind-boggling. But that's what, that's what the scripture emphasizes. That's what this story, especially in Luke 2, is emphasizing. God has really, really exciting kingdom of God type of stuff going on. And he wants to share his joy with people. And the big question is, who? Who does God want to share his joy with? Well, first of all, let's, let's just pause and recognize the fact that God is excited. Because I think for a lot of us, we don't, we don't really allow ourselves to imagine God getting, getting worked up about anything or excited about anything. I had this old college professor, he, he taught art history, and he, he showed no emotion. Never did he show any emotion, which was odd because in this particular art history class, we talked about performance art. I don't know if you've ever studied performance art, but it's like deliberately provocative. And he was just as tranquil and, and transcendently stoic as, as you could possibly be. No excitement, no, no emotion as he talked about any of this crazy performance art stuff. And I wonder if we don't think of God like that. We think God doesn't get worked up or delighted or zealous about anything. But when you read scripture, that's not what it says. The Bible says that when God thinks of you particularly, he, he thinks of you and he just, he startles himself with how delighted he feels. The prophet Zephaniah says that when God considers you, he like bursts into singing. And, and he's just blown away by how much he feels delight over you. Or Jesus has that very famous story in Luke 15 about the Father's love. God the Father, what's his love like? Well, he says, look, God the Father, he's got all these wayward children. That's all of us. We, we've all gone astray. We've all tried to leave God and go do life on our own terms. But when we come back to God, when we return to God, 
What's God's demeanor toward us? Does he, does he stand there with a scowl on his face, his arms crossed, and he says, well, it's a good thing you came back. We got a lot of, we got a lot of talking to do. No, he says, when the father sees you returning, he runs to you, he hugs you, and he says, we have to party because you're back. I love you. It, it just exudes all this zeal and all this excitement. And we see that here, the society of heaven is clearly in a, in a celebratory mood, you could say. Look at verse 10, it says, the angels show up to these shepherds and they say, we bring you not just news, but good news of great joy that is for everyone on the planet. It's, it's not just for the Hebrew community. Jesus is the king of the Jews, but this good news of great joy is for people all over the planet. Every tribe, every nationality, every language, every backstory, this is good news for everyone. And then in verse 13, it says that a great company of the heavenly host appears with the angel. They're in a big celebratory mood. And so, again, who does God want to share this moment with? Well, we're told it's not influencers, it's not powerful politicians, it's not popular people, it's not Bible scholars or theologians, it's this group of people who are living out in the fields, these shepherds. Let's say that tomorrow you get your dream gift. Okay, I don't, I don't know what that is for you. When I was growing up, it was a remote control car. I don't know if those are still cool, but maybe you get that. Maybe you get a pony. That's, that's like the cliche classic thing, right? A pony. Maybe you get a, a pony. Maybe you get a day at the spa. Maybe you get a bottle of Blanton's. I don't know. It's something that you really, really like, okay? So you get your dream gift. Now, let's say near your house, there's a field and there are people living in the field, right? Home, homeless people, basically. Now, how do you feel about sharing your excitement and your dream gift with the people out in that field. <laughs> well, I think we'd all say, look, people living out in the field, people like these marginalized outcast shepherd types, certainly they should get some kind of handout, some kind of attention, right? They should get some kind of charity, right? It's Christmas. But they don't, they don't get to share in the most cherished stuff Right? I mean, some charity, but not the most cherished, most joyful stuff. You don't share the big, important stuff with people like that. But when you look at this passage, that's exactly what God's doing. He's sharing the big, important stuff with these shepherds. And God very clearly in Scripture says, I want you all to be like that. He says in Luke chapter 14, when you give a dinner or a banquet, don't invite your friends or your relatives or your rich neighbors. When you give a feast, invite the poor, right? The outcasts, the crippled, the lame, the blind. Now, what's, what's the point of this? Because sometimes we misinterpret that passage. Is, is the point that, okay, you're not supposed to have too much fun, right? Don't invite the people you really want to have over. You know, you have to have some token, hard-to-love people. Is that what God's saying? No, I don't think that's what he's saying at all. Um, Y'all seen the movie The Help? Remember in the movie, if you're part of the bougie society, like the popular people, you go to Hilly Holbrook's parties, right? That's how you know you're cool. That's how you know you're popular. You get invited to Hilly's house parties. But, but those are miserable. She's not really happy. There's no real joy in Hilly Holbrook's life. 
Now, remember when the main character, Skeeter, goes and hangs out with the help, right? The outcasts. She goes over to Minnie's house and has fried chicken with her and Abilene and the other members of this low servant class. She realizes there's way more fun to be had here. There's more joy here than in the hilly Holbrook society. And God's saying, I want you to encounter and experience my joy. That's what I want for you. Jesus is saying that all throughout scripture. I want you to enter my joy. And so the people who honestly exude that joy, it's, it's these people like the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind. You need that in your life. You need to taste it. You need to experience it. Not just know about it because I wrote some things to you in the word. You need to experience it for yourself. That's what God's all about. And so, how do these shepherds feel about this? God is involving them in his joy. So how do they feel? Well, they're clearly excited. We see that right away when the, when the angels come. They're, they're first overwhelmed, but then they're very, very excited to be told about this Savior who's been born. Now, why are they excited? Why are the shepherds so excited? Because, first of all, this is good news of great joy. So the, the message, the news, is categorically exciting. But equally as important is this news comes with a specific sign. Look at verse 12. What's the sign? The angel tells the shepherds, you're going to find a baby in a feeding trough, in a manger, right? That's what he says you'll find. And that baby, believe it or not, is God. So in other words, the message to these shepherds is God has come to earth and he looks like you. He, he doesn't look like the nobility. He wasn't born in a palace in Jerusalem. He's, he's not a member of a, of a uh, high society, high class family. He looks like a poor outcast like you, shepherds. God has come to earth and who does he choose to invest his time with? Most emphatically, he chooses to invest his time with you. People like the shepherds, the meek, the poor. Now, look, if you're prosperous and popular or if you're very preoccupied and distracted by the pursuit of prosperity and popularity, this probably doesn't resonate with you. You, you probably don't get very worked up or excited about how God was born in a, in a barn. His first bassinet was a, was a feeding trough. But if you're these shepherds, this is amazing because this means God sees you. Nobody sees you. If you're one of these shepherds, People don't see you. People don't value you. People don't say you matter. But what God's doing here is he's saying, you matter to me. I see you and you matter to me. And that makes them feel very, very special. One time, Carrie and I were at a wedding and we, we went to the reception. And the only place we could find to sit when we got to the reception was in this sort of relegated back room. It was like completely disconnected from the rest of the reception hall. Uh, you couldn't see the main area. We, we couldn't see the bride, bride or groom from this back room where we were banished. And so we just said, okay, well, apparently this is where we got to sit. We'll make the most of it. So we sit down, you know, we start to eat. And then someone from the bridal party personally came back to the relegated room and they found us and they said, oh, you're not supposed to be back here. 
You, you have a seat up near where the bride and groom are sitting. And so we got escorted up to like this seat of honor next to like the most important table at the reception. It was an exciting moment for us. We felt like royalty. And I think that's how the shepherds feel right here. They feel like, look, nobody notices us. We're not special. We're not important. And then this angel comes and he says, God wants to invite you to celebrate with him. Celebrate the arrival, the birth of the Son of God on planet Earth. The definitive beginning of this redemptive act that has been in the works for thousands of years. God wants y'all to celebrate with him. And so we see the shepherds are excited. Verse 15, they say, let's go, right? That's what my boys say when they're excited. <laughs> let's go see this. Let's do it. So they hurry. They make haste in verse 16. And they're, they're very eager to find this sign, this baby in a manger that they've been told about. In verse 20, it says these shepherds glorify God. They praise God for all these, all these things that they've heard and what they've seen. And then we see that their excitement is contagious. In verse 18, it says, and all who heard what the shepherds told them were amazed. Now, this, this could be that people were amazed, meaning they were incredulous. They were like, yeah, I don't know if I'd buy it. An angel visited y'all, and then, and then you saw a baby in a feeding trough. Why, why would we be excited about that? You shepherds, you're weird. That could be what it means. Maybe, certainly there's a few people around who probably have that feeling. I think more likely it means that people really were impacted by what these shepherds were, were conveying and sharing with them. People really did believe what these shepherds were reporting and people were really changed by it. Something really similar like, like this happened in uh, Henry Nouwen's life. I don't know if y'all know who Henry Nouwen is. Henry Nouwen was a very well-known, uh, like elite theologian. He was at Harvard. Um, and then he left Harvard. He, he, he left Harvard and he went and he worked at this place called Dayspring. Dayspring was an organization that helped mentally handicapped adults. And Henry Nouwen, he had, he had studied the gospel. He had learned all about Jesus and the ways of Jesus. And then he came to this sort of crisis moment in his life. And he said, you know, I don't think I've really lived the gospel at all. I've taught about it. I've written books about it. I've educated myself about Jesus, but I don't think I've really tasted like a lot of the stuff that, that Jesus was about that I read about in the Gospels. And so in a, in a very, very pivotal, radical kind of way, Henry Nouwen goes to work at Dayspring, leaves Harvard to go work with mentally handicapped adults. He started working with these, these mentally handicapped adults and, and what that experience people uh, made on his life. He says, he says this, this was the most important experience of my life because it forced me to rediscover my true identity. These broken, wounded, completely unpretentious people forced me to let go of my relevant self, the self that can do things and perform things and prove things and build things. This community forced me to reclaim my unadorned self in which I am completely vulnerable and open to receiving and giving love regardless of the gospel. He says, he goes, my relationship with God is never about what I can perform for him or what I can accomplish for God. It's all about his unmerited, unearned love. It's completely unpretentious. And he says, 
where in my real life am I going to experience that and learn that? Not just know about it, but, but really experience it. And for Henry Nowenen, uh, it was in this day spring community. Now, if you know anything about old Henry Nowen, uh, his personality, um, his version of excitement's not of the jumping up and down variety. And I know that resonates with a lot of us because we're Presbyterians. We don't, we don't get outwardly excited. Um, and I think, you know, there's something like that going on here with Mary. Uh, is Mary a Presbyterian? I say yes. Look in verse 19. Um, she, she doesn't bounce up and down like these shepherds. She's just treasuring these things and pondering them in her heart. And best case scenario, we, the chosen frozen, that's what we're doing. Right? I know this is true for some of us. Uh, we don't get outwardly excited, but inside, like, we are really excited. We are pondering and we are treasuring. And the point is, genuinely, the point is, however it manifests in your life, God says, I really, really, really want to bring you in on my joy. And God says, as you read through my word, you have to reckon with the fact that it is an eccentric excitement. What you read about in scripture, the things that God gets excited about, it's, it's weird. It's not the kinds of things that the world tends to get excited about. God's ways are not our ways. But God says, I really do have this delight in what I reveal to you in scripture. And I want you to share in that. I want to bring you in on it. And I sincerely want you to join me every step of the way. And the big question is, will you receive it? That's the big question for all of us here this morning. As, as Tim mentioned when he got up here and prayed, he said, look, there's a lot of things that we can be so preoccupied with and distracted by and consumed with. And God says, I understand that. God himself was in the flesh. He's been tempted in every way. He understands what that feels like. But he says, I really, I really adamantly want to free you from the burden and the, the, the toil and the suffocating just constant bombardment of being distracted and preoccupied with all kinds of things that are just going to make you anxious and troubled. God, Jesus tells this parable in Luke 14 where he says, you know, the kingdom of God, it's like Jesus is throwing this big banquet and he sends his servants to invite everybody to the banquet and so many people just say, I can't make it. I got, I got stuff going on. I'm too busy. I'm too preoccupied. I'm too bothered by something. I can't make it. And Jesus says, that is so tragic. There are so many things that I want to show you that are genuinely joyful, that are exciting to God. And he wants to show them to you in his word, in serving others, in not being critical or complaining, in being grateful and patient and prayerfully expectant of God, waiting on his timing and trusting in his tactics. But you have to receive it. God says, I am inviting you into my joy and I want you to take me up on that. Let's pray and ask God to help us to do that. We pray, God, that you would compel us, especially now, this time of year, when it's so easy to get distracted by things that aren't perhaps bad, lots of good things, but we pray, God, that they would be all the more delightful to us because we, we receive them as, as people who know and trust in you. God, I, I pray really practically that tomorrow when we're sitting around with our families opening presents or sharing a meal, um, whenever those, those sinful impulses to, to grumble, um, I pray whenever those things rise up in us that you would deliver us from that evil.
and keep us from those temptations and instead that we would enter into the eccentric joy and excitement of our God. This God who came to serve. This God who, who lived his whole life um, sacrificing for other people. God, I pray that that's what would really enamor us and that you would cause us to enter into that joy and experience it more and more and more. And we pray this in your name. Amen.